It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Thank you for tuning in today to the Beekeeper Chat episode here on Patreon between Natalie and I. And if you have not already listened to the main segment episode that came out on Monday, please go do so. It was the 12th installment of the Natural Beekeeping Corner with Natalie. And uh, that means you have been doing this now for a full year. That is 12 total episodes. One year, one full year. I feel like that it's actually been longer than that, but we may have had an episode or two that we didn't put out or something. At so. least one. I think in February it didn't come out. So it's been at least 13 months, actually. Yeah, I think so. 13, 14, somewhere around in there for certain. Uh, but you had a special guest on the show with you. You were talking to Fanta. Malino, and we're 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 hoping that that's pronounced as correctly as possible. It is kind of a French spelling or a Creole spelling on the last name. And Fanta is the owner, founder, and all-around caretaker of the what is it? Wild Everlasting Farm. Yep, and Sun School. Um, and she does the Sun, Sun Queen's Queen. School. Yes. Of apiary arts. That's right. So Fanta is a fount of information and it was a great episode. So again, if you haven't listened to it, please go check that out. It's on the main podcast platform. Find it out there wherever you get any of your podcasts and listen to that. What we're going to do today for the beekeeper chat is we're going to take a couple of concepts out of there and kind of jump over into this and, and just elaborate on it a little bit more. There's a, a few words in there that really rung true to me because it's the way that I've always approached my own beekeeping and it's the way that I've approached all of the listener questions that have come in. And those two key words that you will hear throughout that are instinctual or instinctive and you remember collaboration. <laughs> is that right? They both, no, start, they both start with an I. <laughs> that is not it. <laughs> okay, instinctual and what else? intuitive okay <laughs> intuitive beekeeping and instinctual beekeeping yours is just as valid <laughs> yeah i mean there was a lot of really cool words you know she was using yeah there were there were but the the main thing that i that i think is the most important aspect of that is because you guys were talking about like the brood dynamics and brood pattern and going beyond just beekeeping that's kind of like what fonta's whole thing is is We've all been inundated with the beginner beekeeping stuff and we've got all this information, but a lot of times we don't necessarily take into consideration the things that are going on outside of the colony and how that impacts the colony. So on the intuitive part or the instinctual part, more than likely nobody is going to have that on day one. That's just, it's not going to happen. You have to have the experience and the knowledge, but the key part of that is when you see something or when you experience something then you take that information and you apply it to the next situation that comes forward. And it, it becomes a if so, and then kind of scenario. Well, this has happened before. And if that happened there, then maybe this over here could be that, then I should do this type of thing. And it applies in a lot of great ways because when you just go by the textbook and I, I, I was dying over here because 
you both mentioned something that I've said before that ended up getting me in trouble, uh, which was really funny, but it was the whole concept of beekeeping by the calendar or beekeeping by the book. When you, when you do all of that, you're going by a man-made schedule. You're not going by the bee schedule. And I've often said, you need to take the damn calendar and throw it out the window. You need to follow. Yeah. You need to follow the lead of the bees. Now, oddly enough, the same individual who got mad at me the last time this came up and took it very personally, did oh. call me today. <laughs> and I did the same thing? I didn't answer and they didn't leave a voicemail. So I'm not sure if it was along the same lines or not. Um, so but I'm I did, curious. I did what, find it interesting. <laughs> what was the, the argument? What was the, what was it not? Well, oh, I, the, so the, the thing that, that was irritating that individual was that I was saying in their mind, I was degrading the beekeepers who are phenomenal beekeepers who go by the calendar or who go by the book. And I was like, well, no, that that wasn't the case at all. What I'm saying is that the calendar is a very fixed point in time and it does not equate to everything else. It does not take into consideration what's been going on. And one of the perfect examples of that that Fonda mentions is she is up in Oregon and this has been the coldest, wettest year that they've ever had for a spring Mm -hmm. in Oregon. They had temperatures in like 19 degrees, I believe she said Fahrenheit, where Mm -hmm. that's kind of unheard of in April. That's when you're, you know, you're, you think you're brooding up and you're building and you're getting ready to split and do all this stuff. If you're going by the calendar then you would start doing those things, but the season and the bees aren't ready for them and it can cause problems. So you're not being intuitive. You're not being conscious and considerate of everything else that's going on that plays into the bees. So that's that's the setup of, of really kind of what I wanted to pull over here and talk about is that intuition that you hopefully develop as you do your beekeeping. And it takes everything into consideration. It takes into consideration your region, the floral and fauna that are out there, the time of year, the weather, to the day, the weather, not just your seasonal weather, I get this much snow, it's cold for this long, but like, what did it do this week? What's it going to be doing next week? How is that Mm going to affect the bees? You know, all of that kind of stuff has to be taken into consideration to truly work in harmony with the colony. And I thought that that was a fantastic, if nothing else, starting point for a lot of our listeners who can then take that path and follow it down and find their own intuition with their own bees because everybody's situation is going to be unique. So now again, to your point, it takes a lot of practice. It takes seasons. It doesn't, you know, you cannot achieve that in first year or even second year. It takes more than two or three seasons for you to kind of like get into the patterns, tune into the botany, the the flora, the surround you, how it reacts to the weather, the the cold or the rain. Um, Pay attention to the amount of rain that's falling. You can actually write it down. But I think that if you are keeping it in the back of your mind and you're just kind of absorbing what's around you, you develop an intuition, like you said, that's uh, a lot more fine-tuned. You can you can um, almost predict things uh, to a closer, you know, uh, time frame than you would if you were looking at the calendar, because it becomes almost an art, honestly, uh, seeing what's in your hives, knowing what's going on around. It's like playing chess, right? You just got to have all that, those parameters, all that data coming in and have it in your hand, head, hold it in your 
in your head and your body, basically, just kind of like, you know, uh, get a feel for it, develop your gut, your instincts. And, you know, um, phenomenal beekeepers do do that. And I don't agree that they do go by the calendar always because um, that doesn't work if you're not taking into account the, the changing patterns of weather and site and forage. Now, commercial beekeepers work to a calendar because they have contracts that they need to fulfill in, in California or they have other things that they're doing. And in that case, they override kind of what's going on around them for the most part. But even the commercial beekeepers that are uh, producing bees and selling bees and queens, like, you know, there's a large uh, treatment-free provider in Texas that does that, they had to delay uh, their pickups of nukes and queens because the because of the weather. So uh, there was also a lot of um, beekeepers in the area. They were like, "Oh yeah, the forage is not there yet." I'm not, and I'm like, I'm seeing the flowers. I'm seeing the nectar coming in. My packages that I installed in March are, are not taking feeding because they've got nectar. I'm seeing it everywhere in areas that usually we don't have it. So rather than focusing on dates it's better to be looking at your hives wherever they are and just kind of get you know a good feel for what's happening from week to week if you want to be more accurate if you want to be able to plan and and leverage the um, biology of the superorganism to do the things that you need to do like splits or rearing queens or prepping for um, um, the honey flow all these things and i think that the calendar can give you an indication but it's only an indication and right. it's just too fluid to be going by the date. A, no calendar, a calendar should be a reminder. It's an like, indicator. Mm -hmm. This is, this is the time that in theory, these things should be going on. But for instance, to say, cause this is a big thing for whatever reason down in central Texas specifically, but the July 4th weekend, July 4th mm -hmm. weekend is when you harvest your honey and like everybody goes out and does it because they keep hearing it repeated and they keep going out there and doing that. And I've had, well, like there's been years where the nectar flow stopped at the very beginning mm -hmm. of July. There's been years where the nectar flow continued on through July. And no matter what, even if the nectar flow stopped on June 30th, any nectar that they brought in on June 30th is not going to be ripe honey that's capped and ready to be extracted by July 4th. Right. Plus you add in the humidity for down there in that area, your oh, yeah. content's not going to be in the right area. So I always just went by the bees. When I saw that they had everything capped up, I could go through and I could sample it, take it out, put it in the refractometer, see what the, the moisture content was. If the moisture content's not where it needs to be, let it ride. If you look in the frame and it's all open liquid and there's nothing capped, let it ride. They're not ready yet, you know? So you can use it as an indication, but I never harvested honey the first weekend in July. I harvested honey like in the middle of August. <laughs> that's when so, I got mine done, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's kind of what I was looking at also. Although this year I'm seeing colonies that are that I haven't used for increases that are honey bound, that were honey bound two weeks ago. And and so honey harvesting could in theory be happening now if we wanted to because That's there's true. so much coming in. Um, but again, all beekeeping is hyper-local, right? Yep. So what's true around my bee yards might not be true for all the beekeepers around Austin, let alone other areas of Texas or the country. Yeah, you can be a few miles different 
and it can radically change what you're seeing and what you're having. I've talked before on the show about the lady who loves bees, wants to keep bees, has a ton of top bar hives. And as you're driving out to her place, you're going through just fields of wildflowers. Mm -hmm. And then you make a turn and you go like a mile this way and you turn and you go two more miles the other way. And suddenly you're in the bottom of this canyon with just rocks and kind of cedar basically everywhere. And her bees are always starving and constantly need fed. And if they were just three miles away, they would be in this beautiful paradise of flowers. Driftwood, where I am, which is only like, what, seven minutes away from where I live, is far enough that they're all starving over there because it's just kind of not enough forage. And also there's hypersaturation, uh, way beyond the capacity, the carrying capacity of the area. Whereas where I am... Yeah, I have a lot of persimmons. They bloomed early, which is why I installed my packages in March, uh, at the end of March, the last weekend of March, and they never took the syrup because they exploded due to the the nectar being there at the end of March, right? So depends. It's great. We were also talking uh, before we started recording about like swarms, and we've had listeners in northern states as far up as Maine say that they're actively catching swarms and they've caught, you know, multiple swarms in a matter of days. And I haven't seen a single swarm one. (laughs) I have only seen bees around a couple of plants out here when they were blooming, but it wasn't like the mass quantities yet. So in my area, the colonies are still growing and they're still building and they mm-hmm. haven't hit the swarm urge yet and they haven't started doing things yet. So it, it's all hyper local, as you've mentioned, it's all very dependent on what's going on, but you have to take into those into consideration those other things, because even for you, if you do something this year and it works for you this year, everything changes next year. So we learned that lesson very, 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 very well in a very hard way last year in February of 2020, when we had that epic freeze come through, sorry, 2021, the the epic freeze came through, it changed our flora and fauna. The things that normally were already growing and blooming died. Everything has changed. Things that didn't bloom suddenly were blooming. And we were like, what is that? You know, but it messed everything up. So you can't say, well, but every year I've done this because the weather can change things, nature, all the patterns of climate can change it. The, the floral and fauna, you know, it just, it kind of goes throughout the year. I've had years where I didn't see a single Indian blanket on 40 acres of land. And yet that is one of the primary nectar sources for our area. Mm -hmm. And yet I didn't have any of it that would show up in my honey because there wasn't any within a couple of mile radius, you know? So it was kind of strange, but that's, that's, again, that's that hyper-local aspect of it. So this this is your calendar. <laughs> there you go. She held up her calendar and she threw it over her shoulder. That's pretty much exactly what it is. It should be a guide, just like right. any of the material that you read. It should be a guide. But the intuition that you build, even in your first year, you will see things and mm-hmm. you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, I've, I've experienced that before. I saw them doing this. And then in the second year, you may see it again and you may be able to tie something to that and say, oh, when they did that last year, this was going on and that's going on again this year. And now I'm seeing the same thing. So you can start building this knowledge and this kind of internal database for yourself Mm -hmm. and know what is true for you. And that's the main part is what is true for you and your bees in your location, because that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what I do with mine. It doesn't matter what Natalie does with hers. 
it's not going to be the same as what you do with yours because yours are in a different area. They're in a different climate. You know, you've got different techniques, different floral uh, flowers out there, different, you know, the, the whole, it's all different. Well, and, and compound that with different goals from the beekeepers That's as true. well. Different That's genetics, different, you know, there's all uh, different types of hives might do different things. I don't know. It depends how you manage them, I guess. But that's all um, instinctual and intuitive, like you were saying. Intuitive, right? intuitive kind of, yeah. and instinctual. They're they're interchangeable. Honestly, the words are very yeah, interchangeable. Yeah. But I I liked it. Then that's that's why I was like, you know, that that aspect right there. Now, so I, I was I was sitting there laughing because you talked about like goals and different things like that, uh, the the lineages and the races of bees and the genetics and everything. And I, it kind of reminded me of something that she had said in there when she learned how to do what they called quote unquote runaway splits. And I was dying laughing because in my brain, I remember, you know, you kind of get indoctrinated into things or it's not like hazing, but kind of a little bit whenever you do beekeeping. There's a lot of myths that are getting repeated. This, well, this is a, this is a whole different scenario. This is, you have an apprentice come on or somebody who's just getting started and you're moving hives and you take them to the new location, you set them down and we would always make them go open them up and be like, all right, so it's the same concept as a grenade. You pull the pin and run, you know, yeah. like open them up and get out of there. Cause they're going to come out of there and they're going to be mad. And they're, you know, they've been bouncing around in a truck or whatever. When she said runaway splits, that's the visual image I had in my head is like doing a split and then running away screaming. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's true. That, that could be a good cartoon. It was. This is exactly. That's my brain was playing it out as like a little cartoon. It's a runaway split. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so really honestly, if you have not listened to the episode, you should definitely go check it out. Episode 150, Natural Beekeeping Corner, which is abbreviated NBC in case you've ever been wondering what that stands for. Part 12, Brood Dynamics. <laughs> Brood Dynamics. And it's with Fanta Molino. So <laughs> definitely go out there and check it out. Uh, any any parting words, any final thoughts on, on intuition and building up your own no, kind of repertoire? I, well, yes. I think that the other word that really struck me was um, uh, collaboration, collaborating with your bees and working with the biology of the superorganism, which is a theme that I've really focus on with with our students because it's very very important to along with the calendar you shouldn't impose your will to the bees it's never going to work as well as if you're studying let them be your teachers and just kind of follow their lead and leverage what they're doing like if you want to do splits uh, watch for the conditions that are uh excuse me precursor signs to um to the congestion that's going to lead to the swarming and then at that point you can either do it a little bit early or uh get those swarm cells and be the midwife that's going to be just birthing that 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 uh that split and just harvest it as part of your apiary increases so collaboration i thought was another big word that uh, you might enjoy listening to do it is a big word and it's also it's not something that you don't ever hear it in that context. When you hear about collaborating, the first thing that comes to your mind is a collaboration with another beekeeper or another person. And in reality, the relationship that you are trying to be building and where you're gonna learn that intuition is from the colony of bees. And it's them that you need to be collaborating with. You need to learn to work in harmony with them because they go in ebb and flow with nature. You need to be in ebb and flow with them. And if they're trying to do something 
there's a reason for it. And if you're trying yeah. to stop them from doing it, if you bump yes. heads with them and they're not going to do, you're what swimming you upstream and you're just going to be very frustrated because inevitably they're going to find a way to do what it was they wanted to do to begin yes. with. <laughs> so uh, it's a, it's a single word that represents what I say in three, too many words, which is leveraging the biology of the superorganism and collaboration is so much more elegant. So I like it is, it is, it is very good. So definitely check it out. Like I said, Fanta is a fount of knowledge and wisdom out there when it comes to beekeeping and the way to approach it and look at it. So go check that out. And, uh, we will, uh, we'll let y'all be for now. So be good. Bye-bye. Be mindful. (laughs) Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you, and we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.